So this morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 7. And if you picked up a Bible on your way in, it's found on page 1602. So Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start reading at verse 36, through to the end of the chapter. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When the woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet her, his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them do you think will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Sarah. Uh, keep your Bibles open in that passage. Uh, we're going to go through that uh, this morning slowly today. Uh, but before we do that, let's just pray and ask that God reveals his word to us. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that by it and through it you speak to us uh, even today. I pray that you would grant us attentive and open ears and hearts this morning as we as we listen to it teach us uh, help us to be humble help us to uh, learn from it and to cling to Jesus uh, through it uh, help us to grasp the extent uh, to which or for which you love us uh, help us to gain a greater appreciation of your son and I pray these things in his name amen uh, there's a strange phenomenon that happens when we try to become or be really good people. Uh, we become jerks, basically. Uh, we can't help it. For most of us, this, this is the case. We try, when we uh, try to be good people, simply because, you know, it's the good thing to do, we can't help but looking down on the other people around us who aren't trying as hard as we are to be good. And we begin to despise them. And we begin to see them as inferior to themselves and we judge them. Now that's not the case with everyone, but I'd say that's the case with a lot of us. Now case in point, 
If you're someone who tries really hard to keep the speed limit, uh, which we all should, I might add, even as someone who's recently got a speeding ticket myself. Anyway, you're someone who tries hard to keep the speed limit and you pride yourself in never getting a speeding fine and you're driving down the highway at 98 kilometers an hour to make sure that you don't go 100 kilometers an hour um, and someone rockets past you at 130, right? You're not thinking pleasant thoughts about that person, are you? You're thinking, that dirty rotten so-and-so, I hope he crashed into the back of a police car and gets his car mulched or something. You generally don't have great thoughts about that person. So you see, when you try hard to be good, sometimes you can't help but looking down at other people who aren't trying hard to be good like you are. And you see them as inferior bad people. And ironically, that's what a lot of religious people are like. Uh, that's what a lot of Christians can be like. That's, that's what we can be like. Uh, when Christians, when we focus only on being good people, when we do that, there's a danger that we take our eyes off Jesus. And, and not only are we in danger of looking uh, at other people with contempt, we can also lose our love for Jesus as well. Now, how does that happen and why does that happen? And how can we stop that from happening? That's what we're looking at today. So in the passage that got read out earlier, Jesus has dinner with a Pharisee called Simon. Now, being a Pharisee wasn't actually a bad thing, uh, even, the word, even though the word Pharisee is used negatively today. Uh, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were moral, upright, religious Jews who taught God's word. And they taught God's law to other Jews, and they tried really hard to keep those laws themselves. But the irony here in this passage is that Simon, the Pharisee, the good guy, he's a judgmental jerk. And he looks down his nose at someone who's led an immoral life. And Jesus rebukes him. And so as we work through this passage now, and as we see the lessons that Jesus teaches Simon, we're going to learn those same lessons too. And we're going to see that we need, we all need to recognize that we're all in need of forgiveness by God, whether we're religious or not. We, need, we all need to recognize how much we've been forgiven. And we also need to recognize the only person who can forgive us. So those three things. So let's have a look at the passage now. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, uh, have a glance down to verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So Jesus is over at Simon's, Simon's place for a bite to eat. He's reclining at table uh, with Simon and his buddies. That basically means they're lying on their sides on the floor, eating from a really low table. That's how they ate back then. Now, verse 37, a woman from town. hears that Jesus is at Simon's place and she's brought a very expensive jar of perfume with her. Now, the passage says that the woman has lived a sinful life, possibly prostitution, we're not sure. And the woman comes over to Simon's house to see Jesus. And she probably wasn't invited. Back then, if you were entertaining a special guest, anyone was free to come to your house and sort of stand off to the side and just listen in on the conversations. That's sort of how society worked back then. But this woman doesn't stand there doing nothing. Have a look at what she does. Read verse 38 with me. 
Uh, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she kissed them with her hair. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And how does Simon react? Have a look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, what does Simon mean by that? Sin is basically wrongdoing you commit against God, breaking God's laws, breaking God's expectations of you. And sin has a relational price too. When you disobey someone, you break your relationship with that person. That person's no longer happy with you and you've got to pay for the damage that you've done and, and make it up to them somehow if you, want, if you want to be friends with them again. And it's the same with sin. Our sin breaks our relationship with God. Now, when Simon thinks to himself in verse 39, she is a sinner, by implication, he doesn't think of himself as a sinner. But here's the thing, we're all sinners. None of us live up to God's expectations. None of us live up to how God wants us to live. I mean, he's God. He's our creator. He's got pretty high expectations. All of us, by default, in our normal, natural state, have a broken relationship with our creator that needs fixing. We all need to be forgiven. Some of us need to be forgiven of more serious things than others, but we all need to be forgiven. And the only way we can be forgiven, as we're going to see a bit later, is through Jesus. Now that means, whether we like it or not, by default, without Jesus, we're all on the same sinking boat as everyone else. We're all on the same sinking boat as people who sin a little and people who sin a lot. Unless we're forgiven by God, we all share the same ultimate fate. We might have a first-class seat on Titanic, or we might be a stowaway in the engine room, but it doesn't ultimately matter. Our ship is going down. And what we need is not a better seat than someone else. What we need is to be rescued off the ship. We all need to be forgiven by God. That's the first lesson we learn. But you see, Simon doesn't get that. Simon thinks that because he's a religious guy and he tries hard to do good things, he's not a sinner and he doesn't need forgiveness. And as a result, he looks at this woman who has come into his house with contempt. Now get yourself into Simon's shoes at this point. A woman who's possibly a prostitute has waltzed into his home, boiling, bawling her eyes out. Verse 38, she's kissing his guest's feet. She's even wiping them with her hair. Simon's disgusted. But here's the twist. Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't disgusted at the woman. In fact, it's Simon that Jesus is disgusted with. Have a look at verse 40. Just at the point uh, Simon probably hopes for Jesus to rebuke the woman, Jesus goes in a completely different direction. Jesus doesn't say, dear woman, I have something to tell you. You're a terrible, horrible person. How dare you kiss me? What does Jesus actually say in verse 40? He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon's the one with the problem here. 
Now, Jesus then tells Simon a parable in order to help him realize that he's in the same predicament as the woman. In fact, he's also got the bigger problem. Now, here's the parable retold with a Monday spin, okay? Once upon a time, there are two guys, Jerry and Gary, okay? Both of them have families. Both of them are unemployed. Both of them don't have third-party car insurance. And both of them are involved at car, in car accidents at completely different times with a rich guy called Rob. Okay, Rob's got lots of money. One day, so Jerry and Gary, one day Jerry crashes into Rob. Now at that time, Rob is driving his 2015 Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution 290 horsepower. He paid about $50,000 for it. Okay, both cars are written off. Jerry is so upset. He doesn't have insurance, he's just lost his job, and now he's going to foot a $50,000 bill. But to Jerry's incredible surprise, Rob says, the guy he crashed into, Jerry, I know this accident's your fault, but I'll pay for the damage. Don't you worry about it. You've got a family to feed. Now, what do you think Jerry's feeling right now? He's feeling pretty good. Hold that thought. Let's go to Gary. When Gary crashes into Rob at a different time, Rob is not driving his Mitsubishi Lancer anymore. He's driving his Lamborghini, a Ventador LP700, V12, 6.5 liter engine, 690 horsepower. He paid $500,000 for it. Both cars are written off. Gary's devastated. He doesn't have insurance. He's just lost his job. He doesn't have a $50,000 bill to pay, like Rob. He's got a $500,000 bill to pay. This accident's going to financially ruin him for the rest of his life. He'll be in debt till the day he dies. Now, to Gary's incredible surprise, Rob says, Gary, I know this accident's your fault, but I'll pay for the damage. You've got a family to feed. Don't you worry about it. Now, which of these two men, Gary or Jerry, will love Rob more? That's essentially the same story that Jesus tells Simon in Luke 7. Let's have, a, let's have another read of Jesus' version, reading from verse 41. Jesus says, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. And Jesus responds, Bingo! You see, Simon is the one in the parable with the smaller debt. He's tried to live a good life. He's kept out of trouble. In his eyes, he hasn't done too many things that God would be disappointed with. But as a result, he's blind to the magnitude of his own debt, his own sin. Sure, this woman has probably done worse things in her life than Simon. She's probably guilty of more sins and greater sins than Simon. But at least she recognizes that she's sinned and that she needs forgiveness. 
Now, sometimes we can be a bit like that too. We can compare ourselves to other people and the bad things they've done, and we can forget about all the bad things we've done. It's a way of justifying ourselves. You know, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Therefore, I'm not that bad, you know? Now, part of what Jesus is trying to help Simon realize here is that, sure, someone might be in a worse predicament than you, but that doesn't mean you're not in a really bad predicament. You need forgiveness too, Simon. Sure, she needs bigger forgiveness than you, but you still need big forgiveness. That's the second lesson Jesus teaches Simon. We're all sinners and we all need to be forgiven a lot. And finally, Jesus is the only one who can forgive us. Now, this is Simon's biggest problem by far. Simon has no idea who Jesus is. Simon has invited the king of the universe over for dinner and he doesn't have a clue. Have a look at what Simon thinks of Jesus in verse 39. Uh, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, uh, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon's thinking to himself here, if this Jesus guy was a prophet, he'd know better than this. If this Jesus guy was a legitimate prophet, then he would supernaturally know that this woman is a prostitute and he wouldn't be letting her anywhere near him. That's what Simon's thinking. Now, the irony, of course, is that Jesus knows who, exactly who's touching him and what she's done. And he even knows exactly what Simon is thinking at this point. Simon has no idea what kind of person he's invited over for dinner here. He's, he's got no idea how important Jesus is. Now, earlier in May this year, um, actually it would have been last year, uh, the band members of U2 uh, pulled a prank on the Jimmy Fallon show. Uh, they all dress up in disguises. They go into the subway of New York City and they pretend to be buskers. And the funny thing is that they're all pretending to be a really bad cover band of themselves. So they're in this busy subway singing really bad covers of their own songs. And all these commuters are walking past not actually realizing it's you too. And most people in our society today are like that with Jesus. Uh, they, They look at Jesus and they walk past not really realizing who he is. They take a quick look at him and they think, you know, he's just another regular person trying to spread, uh, spread his ideas. He's no one special. I can just ignore him. And Simon's made the same mistake. In his eyes, Jesus isn't very important. You can see it in verse 39. If this Jesus guy was a prophet, he'd know this woman was a sinner. But he's obviously not a prophet, so he's probably just a nobody. Simon doesn't even think that Jesus is a prophet, let alone the king of the universe. He doesn't realize that the one person in the universe who can forgive his sins is sitting in his dining room eating quiche and broccoli. And he doesn't show him much love or gratitude at all. And yet the woman does. The woman loves Jesus extravagantly. And Jesus has nothing but praise for her. Run your eye down verses 44 to 47. Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came to you. 
I came all the way to your house, but this woman came all the way to me. She hunted me down and treated me like a royal guest in your house. I came to you. She treated me better than you did. You didn't give me water for my feet, verse 44. You didn't give me a kiss, verse 45. You didn't put oil on my head, verse 46. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't. But she did. Therefore, says Jesus, verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turns to the woman, verse 48, and he tells her in front of the whole party, your sins are forgiven. And for a second, you can almost hear a penny drop in the room because this is an outrageous statement. Every Pharisee in the room knows that sin is against God and God alone. And God is the only one who can forgive sin because sin, by definition, is against him. And so then the murmurs begin in verse 49. Who on earth does this Jesus guy think he is? Jesus can forgive our sin because he's the son of God. He's what theologians call the God-man. He's fully God and fully man. And not long after having dinner with Simon, he died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin for us. You see, Simon's invited the one person in the universe who has the authority to forgive sin over for dinner, and he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't think he needs to. We shouldn't make the same mistake. We might be the nicest, kindest, most generous people in the world, but if we're not right with Jesus, we're in a world of trouble. Now, out of everything in the Bible, this story in Luke 7 resonates with me the most. Because growing up, I was Simon, essentially. Uh, My parents are both Christians. I called myself a Christian growing up. Um... I saw myself as a pretty good child. I wasn't a wild child. I was homeschooled for 12 years. Went to church every week with my family. I learned Christian things. I had no interest in drugs or alcohol in my teens. Never swore. I said the S word once under my breath when no one was looking. I grew up a weird, antisocial, goody-two-shoes nerd. And more than that, I had big ambitions for living for God. I really wanted to live my life in a way, you know, so that God would be proud of me and the person I was. But looking back now, I was a jerk. Since I was an omission from God, to use the language of the Blues Brothers, I I frankly thought I was better than other people. Since I hadn't really done anything I considered really bad in my life, I didn't really see any need to be forgiven by God. And I didn't really love anyone except myself. And I can't really say that I love Jesus either. And about seven years ago, around 2010, when I was about 21 or 22, the lights came on. And I realized for the first time clearly how bad I really was and how badly I needed Jesus. And my life since then has been learning that lesson again and again and again. 
getting right with God, getting right with Jesus, isn't about trying to be a really good person. It isn't about trying to be better than other people. It isn't trying, it isn't about trying to get a better seat on the sinking ship. It's about getting rescued off the ship. Getting right with Jesus looks like coming to him in faith with tears in your eyes and saying, God, please save me. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I can't ever repay my debt like this woman does. It's as simple as that. And this woman gets it, which is why Jesus says to her in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. At the end of the day, the prostitute ends up looking better than the priest. The woman recognizes the magnitude of her sin. She recognizes her need for forgiveness. And she recognizes Jesus as someone who can forgive her. And as someone who's infinitely worthy of her love and worship. So as we go out from here into this week, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not proudly on ourselves and what we're doing not judgmentally on others and what they're doing, but on Jesus and what he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that through him we have life. Thank you that we can be reconciled to you through what he's done on the cross. Father, in our attempts to be good people, good followers of you, we can sometimes look judgmentally on others. Help us to remember, God, that you've forgiven us just as much as you've forgiven other people. Help us to be grateful for this. Help us to be gracious as you've been so gracious to us. And I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes fixed on your son as we go out from here. Amen.